Father, this morning, we confess together that You are Lord of all. And that You're our Redeemer. The One who has brought us salvation. And as we sang just a few moments ago, we we cry out, Father, and can it be? Can it be? Someone as wretched as me should gain your love, your acceptance, your mercy. So God, this morning we worship you because of the cross. And as we just sang, we also confess this morning that you are the Lord of all. That this is your world. That this is your church. That we belong to you. And so may your vision be our vision. May our vision be to please you and to obey you and to follow you. May our vision be for you. And so as we go to your word this morning, here's what I pray over your people. I pray, God, that you would change our hearts and that you would give us renewed desire renewed longing, renewed focus to seek after you and your will, your kingdom, your mission, your vision. This is what we long for. We pray you would show it to us from your word. And so God, we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. And we pray them for your glory. Amen. Friends, thank you for worshiping with us this morning. And as I said earlier, um, it is so good to be together with God's people, to sing, to sing with gusto. I was so moved to worship, just listening um, to the voices around me, uh, crying out to God and worshiping Him. And so thank you for worshiping with us this morning. Um, If you have a Bible, go ahead and take it and turn over to the book of Acts. Chapter 1, if you're new to the Bible, that comes right after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And if you didn't bring a Bible this morning, you'll find our sermon passage as well as an outline printed on the back of your bulletin. And so you can look there. And so last week, uh, here at Redeemer, we began a new sermon series through the book of Acts. And our sermon series is entitled, God's Mission Through His Church. God's mission through his church. And so what we're going to see as we work verse by verse through the book of Acts is that God is at work in the world. God's at work in the world to accomplish his purpose, his mission, and he's going to do it through his church. And so as we walk through the book of Acts, what we want to see is God's mission and how he's going to use his church to accomplish it. And then we want to align ourselves with that. That's what we want to accomplish as we labor through all the verses in the book of Acts. We want to see God's mission and how he's going to use his church to accomplish it. And then we want to align ourselves with that. We want to be a part of what God is doing and in the ways that God is doing it. So this morning we'll continue by looking at verses 4 through 11 in Acts chapter 1. Our sermon title this morning is Witnesses. So if you would, please stand with me in honor of God's word as we read it together. Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 4. And while staying with them, he, that is Jesus, ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, 
which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were going and while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is God's word to us this morning. You may be seated. So our sermon this morning is witnesses as we try to work through these eight verses in the chapter one of the book of Acts. And so here's the main point. Here's the main point. The church is here on earth to be witnesses to Jesus Christ. The church is here on earth to be witnesses to Jesus Christ. So what that main point means is that one reason you and I are on earth is to be witnesses to Jesus Christ. And so that is what we want to look at this morning. And so our first point is, what's next? What's next? And that's not a question for the sermon, what's next? But that's a question for the book of Acts. What's next? What we have in the book of Acts is is kind of Luke part two, as we talked about last week. In the book of Luke, a guy named Luke wrote all that Jesus said and did while he was on earth. And then in the book of Acts, the same guy, Luke, chronicles what the followers of Jesus, how they responded to who Jesus was and what he had done. And so here in chapter 1, what we have are these followers, Jesus' disciples. We might say the 12 apostles. They're with him. And they're with him. He's died on the cross. On the third day, he rose from the dead. And so for this 40-day period, Jesus would appear to his disciples and he would teach them. And so these verses happen in that 40-day period at the very end of it. And so Jesus would teach them and he would, he would say things to them like, we're told in Luke chapter 24, that, that he would go through the Old Testament and he would show them how all the Old Testament pointed to Jesus. How he was the Messiah. He was the promised one. Just as our kids sing this morning, he was, he is, he always will be our Messiah. And so, so Jesus would teach them these things. And then as we see in verse, in verse 4, he also taught them, he also taught them to, that, that something was going to come soon called the Holy Spirit. And that when the Holy Spirit came, they would have power. And so Jesus is now coming in and out, teaching his disciples and instructing them about this, this stuff that's about to happen next. And so last week we talked about kind of the roller coaster ride that it was at this point to be a follower of Jesus. I mean, imagine you're out fishing and he comes up to you and says, put down your nets and follow me. And for some unforeseen reason you can't explain to your mother, you put them down and you follow them. And then 
you're rising to joy as you think, He is the Messiah. He's the one. He's the one God has sent to rescue His people. And then He says, hey, by the way, I just need you to know, we're going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to die. Come again? We're going to go to Jerusalem and you're going to die? I thought you were the chosen one. I thought you were the Messiah. And then they go and he dies. And so in those, those days that he was in the tomb, sadness, dismay, probably rubbing their head and saying, I, I thought he was the Messiah, but now he's dead. How, how does this fit together? How can he be our Redeemer and our Lord and the one who was to come and be dead? And then he's alive. He, death couldn't hold him. He overcame death. He's alive. Jesus is alive. He is really alive. He's alive. We're overwhelmed with joy. He was dead and now he's alive. He is the Messiah. It's going to happen. The kingdom is going to come. All that we hoped and we thought we were wrong, it's going to happen. And then Jesus starts all this rhetoric about leaving. Wait, you're alive. You've already died. You're going to leave us? And so I think the disciples at this juncture are sitting there going, what's next? I mean, can this story get more bizarre than it already is? He called us. We followed him. He said he was going to die. He died. He's alive. He's appearing just kind of strangely all over the land for 40 days and teaching us and opening our eyes to understand the scriptures. And now he's going to leave again. Jesus, what's next? What's next? I think that's what the disciples are wrestling with, is what's next? And so in verses 3 and 4, Jesus tells them, well, here's what's next. I want you to stay in Jerusalem. I want you to wait for the promised Holy Spirit to come. He's going to come in the very near future. Okay. Okay. He wants us to stay in Jerusalem. The promised Holy Spirit's coming. And it's going to happen very soon. And so if I'm one of those disciples trying to figure out what's next, I think rushing into my mind is going to be all those Old Testament passages, which you have to remember, that's all they had. That was their Bible. All those passages they talked about when the Messiah came and his kingdom came, the Spirit of God was going to be poured out on his people. So for example, Isaiah chapter 32, verses 14 through 20. For the palace is forsaken, the populous city deserted, the hill and the watchtower will become dens forever, a joy of wild donkeys, a pasture of flocks. Verse 15. Until the Spirit is poured upon us from on high. And the wilderness becomes a fruitful field, and the fruitful field is deemed a forest. Then justice will dwell in the wilderness, and righteousness abide in the fruitful field. And the effect of righteousness will be peace, and the result of righteousness, quietness and trust forever. My people will abide in a peaceful habitation, in secure dwellings, and in quiet resting places. And it will hail when the forest falls down, and the city will be utterly laid low. Happy are you who sow beside all waters." who let the feet of the ox and the donkey range free. So littered all throughout the Old Testament, like this passage in Isaiah 32, are these passages that speak of a coming time, a time of blessing, 
A time of righteousness, a time of quietness, a time of trust, a time of God's glory forever. And when it comes, the Spirit's going to be poured out. So if I were one of those disciples, and I knew all those, those texts running all throughout the Old Testament, I'm scratching my head and going, really, okay, what's next? He's leaving, but the Spirit's coming. I think it would have been quite logical and quite acceptable to ask Jesus the question we see in verse 6 of Acts chapter 1. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? The Spirit's coming. You're here. Is this the time where the glory and the reign and the joy come? Is this the time where you come and establish your kingdom forever? Is this the time when all the promises will be fulfilled? What is next? Is it about to happen And I think too often we look at the questions that the disciples ask like this and we say, tisk, tisk, what are you thinking? Don't you get it? How would you ask that question? And I think that the reality is it was a good question. It made sense. The Messiah is here. He's alive. The spirit is going to be poured out. We're here in Jerusalem. It just makes sense. Now, Jesus had something different for them. He had a much different answer to the question, what's next? But they ask a good question. Jesus, are you at this time going to establish the kingdom? And so I hope you feel where the disciples are right now. Because I just spent a good amount of time trying to help you feel the tension that the disciples were feeling. Because the whole rest of this passage only makes sense in that tension. This is going to be it. It's all coming together. Jesus, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And as we see in our passage, the answer to that question is no. The answer to that question is actually far more overwhelming. So the second point, the answer to the question, what's next is, I'm going to use you to expand my kingdom. The answer that Jesus gives his disciples is, I'm going to use you to expand my kingdom. He says, you will be my witnesses. So in verse 7, he he somewhat chastises them a little bit and he says, really the question you've asked, at this time, is, is the kingdom of Israel going to be established? Really, it's not a question for you to be asking. So in verse 7, what Jesus says is, the answer to that question belongs to God. And you just don't need to worry about it. It will come when God deems fit for it to come. Rather, what I want you to do right now is focus on being faithful to the task that I have for you. The question is not, is the kingdom of Israel going to come? Or when is it going to come? Or can I predict when it's going to come? But the question is, will you be faithful to what God has put before you? And so verse 8 takes this whole dialogue and shifts it on its head in perfect Jesus fashion. And here's what he says. He says, I'm going to send the Spirit. And the Spirit's going to give you power. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, you will be my witnesses. Not just in Israel. Not just in Jerusalem but in Judea and all of Samaria 
and to the ends of the earth. So really what he says is not only are you asking the wrong question, but you're asking far too small of a question. Right now, is God going to restore Israel? No, God's up to something much vaster than that. He's going to use you to take this message about me to the ends of the earth. Consider Isaiah 49, chapter 6. Isaiah 49, chapter 6. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach the end of the earth. Did you catch that? God says, it's too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. Now, do the tribes of Jacob matter to God? Absolutely. Do the preserved of Israel matter to God? Absolutely. Are they going to be brought back? Absolutely. But But what's being said here in Isaiah is, that's really too light a thing for the Messiah I'm going to send. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. So in in, in essence, what Jesus is saying here is, your question, what next? That might be a good question, but it's the wrong question. Because you're concerned about when, and you're just concerned about the kingdom of Israel. But let me tell you something. Don't be concerned about when, be concerned about faithfulness. And I'm concerned about something that will blow your mind. I'm going to redeem all the peoples of the earth. I am going to redeem all the peoples of the earth. That's what he's saying in this passage. You will be my witnesses to carry the truth about me to the ends of the earth. But you can't do it alone. You need some help. Therefore, The Spirit is coming. Verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is coming to dwell with and dwell in and provide power to the people of God. Now, in the coming weeks, we're going to discuss the Spirit and His work in a lot more detail. But for this morning, Jesus speaks of one aspect of the Spirit's power, Spirit's presence, and that is power. The Spirit's power is coming to enable and to embolden you in the particular task that I've put before you. You will be my witnesses. Let's not miss this important point. The Holy Spirit provides the power. The Holy Spirit is the one who does the work. The Holy Spirit is the one who will embolden the witness. The Holy Spirit is the one who will make the witness faithful. The Holy Spirit is the one who will generate a response to the testimony. 
We cannot do it alone. We need the strength of God. We need a power from outside ourselves if we are going to be a part of God's mission. And God in His goodness and God in His mercy has provided it. You will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth to the glory of the Father. And you will receive the Spirit of God to empower you and to enable you along that path. So let me just pause. Friends, we're Americans. Most of us are somewhat successful Americans. And we like to pride ourselves on the sweat of our brow and our hard efforts and what we've accomplished. God's calling us to a mission that we can't accomplish. God's calling us to a mission that we can't fulfill. God's calling us to a mission that, that apart from His Spirit, we are unable to fulfill. But yet, He has provided us the power we need in His Spirit. So Christians, let me just ask you this question. Do you live with an awareness that you are wholly dependent upon the Holy Spirit for power? Do you pray as if you are wholly dependent upon the Holy Spirit for His power? Have you pondered and meditated upon and considered the great work of the Spirit of God so that you can have confidence to obey God's commands? Of course we can't do it our own, but He has given us His Spirit. And so in this passage, the Spirit is coming, the promise is coming, and it's coming for, for a stated purpose. And that stated purpose is also in verse 8, that these people, these hearers, will be Jesus Christ's witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will be my witnesses. So let's pause for a few minutes and consider that. You will be my witness. Now, I'm a sucker for a good crime drama. Anybody else? Law and Order, CSI, NCIS, yada, yada, yada. If you're not, just bear with me, okay? Pretend. Now, here's what I know. I know that those are really unrealistic, extremely unrealistic. You know, you can solve a serial murder case in about 32 seconds and have the guy in court after the next commercial break. Like, I, I realize that's unrealistic. But for some reason, I'm a sucker for them. And almost every episode of one of these shows hinges upon the testimony of a witness. Almost every one of them hinges upon the testimony of someone who witnessed something about this crime that they can speak about it. But as I was pondering this, you will be my witnesses this week, and I even um, emailed with a lawyer friend of mine to, to probe around about what he looks for in a witness. Here's what became really clear to me is, you know, there are good witnesses and there are bad witnesses. But the minute that I observe a crime, I'm a witness to it whether I want to be or not. You get that? The minute I observe a crime, I'm a witness whether I want to be or not. So it's not like, oh, well, I think I want to be a witness to that crime. Either you observed it or you didn't. Either you experienced it or you didn't. And if you experienced it and if you observed it, being a witness is not something that you seek after. It's who you are. You are a witness. 
You guys, you guys tracking with me on that? And so every one of these shows tends to, to, to go around this. So there are good witnesses and bad witnesses. There are honest witnesses and there are dishonest witnesses. But if you were there and if you observed it, you're a witness. There's nothing you can do to make yourself not be a witness. Now, the lawyer can choose to use you or not use you, but you're a witness to the crime. You were there. You experienced it. These people that Jesus is talking to, they were there. They walked with him. They saw him perform miracles. They heard everything that he taught. They saw him die on the cross. They saw him breathe his last. They saw him rise from the dead. And they've seen him appear and teach and eat and walk with them and commission them. And they're about to see him go into heaven. They've seen it. They are by position, functionally speaking, witnesses. They're witnesses. And the reason I belabor this point is because for some reason in Christian vernacular along the way, witnessing became something you do once a week on Tuesday night. Right? Witnessing became an optional activity. I'm Jamie and occasionally I might become a witness to not become a witness. I'm going to tell you about Jesus and then I'm not going to be a witness. But, but that's not what he's saying. He's saying you've experienced it. You will be my witnesses. It's who you are. You can't shirk it. You are a witness to Jesus Christ. And so I think because most of us grew up in the church, when I say witness, when you saw at the top of the sermon page, witnesses this morning, you said, oh no, he's going to talk about evangelism and I'm going to have to shift into evangelism mode. Anybody think that? I bet half of you did. But that's not the point that Jesus is making. What he's saying is, because of who you are, because you have walked with me and talked with me and heard me teach and you know my teachings and you know who I am and you know what I've done, you are by definition a witness. You can't escape it. You will be my witnesses. So a witness is someone who gives testimony to what they've seen, what they've heard, what they've experienced, and what they know to be true. And the purpose of a witness is to assist someone to gain knowledge of another subject. Objective knowledge. And so what Jesus is saying to to these disciples is, you know me, you know what I've done, you're carrying around the fruits of my ministry By definition, you're my witnesses. You will be my witnesses in Judea and in Samaria and in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Why? Because everywhere you go, you're a witness to me. So in Acts 1.8, witnessing is not an occasional activity. It's who we are. And so who was going to be his witnesses in Acts? In Acts 1.8, his witnesses were those who had been with him. Those who had walked with him, those who had talked with him, those who had experienced all that he was. And he said, you will be my witnesses. And so, I believe that phrase in Acts 1-8 applies to us as well. And I'll explain to you why in just a minute. But if Christ has forgiven your sins, if Christ has reconciled you to God, if you have been made spiritually alive and you've been given the power of the Holy Spirit at work in you, then you are Jesus Christ's witness. Your calling in life might be broader than this, but a part of it is to be a witness to Jesus Christ, period. It's who you 
are. And I believe we have to get our minds around that. I am a witness to Jesus Christ. Not you ought to be. Not go and try to be. Not the super Christians are. It is you are. And if we will believe that and embrace that and accept the fact that because we carry about the gospel and the Holy Spirit and the work of Christ in us, we are his witnesses, period. So the question is not, am I called to be a witness? The question is, am I a faithful one? The question is not, does God want me to be a witness? The question is, am I giving a clear picture of the gospel? We are his witnesses. And so Jesus wants us to be his witnesses because he's chosen to accomplish his mission through us. He could have done it any way he wanted to, I suppose. He's God. But what the book of Acts is going to show us, page after page after page, is that God is going to accomplish this mission of the good news of Jesus reaching the ends of the earth through his people. He could have done it any way he wanted to. But he is going to accomplish his mission by the gospel. That's by the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done. Through his church, empowered by his spirit. So God is going to accomplish his mission by the gospel, through his church, empowered by his spirit. God left his gospel, he left Christians, and he left his spirit in the world to fulfill his mission. We are his witnesses. And we are to be his witnesses, I believe. And now I'm going to explain to you why I think this applies to us. We are to be his witnesses until Christ comes again. So Jesus, Jesus gives them this commission in verse 8. And in verses 9 through 11, he says, we're told that as soon as he gave them this commission, he's lifted up. And the clouds come around him and he's taken out of their sight. So now imagine you're one of these disciples again, and you're like, did I just see that? Did I just see that? Did what I think just happened happen? And so you're standing there, you're gazing into heaven. Again, I'm not going to beat up on the disciples. You're just, you're gazing into heaven. And then these two angels appear, and they say, men of Galilee, don't stand looking into heaven. This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And so what I believe the the angels are saying to these men, to these disciples is, don't spend your time gazing into heaven wondering when he's going to come back. Go and be faithful. But go and be faithful believing that he's going to come back. And when he comes back, you're not going to miss it. So the question is, has he returned? He hasn't. So until he returns, the commission to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, stands. And anybody who's experienced the power of the gospel is his witness. And so what I want you to take away today is God is calling Redeemer Church to be a witness to the power of Jesus. God is calling me and he's calling you to be a power, a witness to his power, his glory, his salvation. So if you're taking notes, write this down in all caps. I am a witness. Not I should become one, but I am one. Third point. Me, 
witness? Yes, you. One of my favorite quotes is from an author named Jack Miller, and he was a, he was a pastor and a preacher and a teacher. And, and in one of his books called The Heart of a Servant Leader, he, he writes letters to these men who are in conflict. And these letters go on and on, and, and they're pretty intense. I mean, they're pretty direct and pointed to the point that I'm like, you know, I don't think I ever wanted to receive a letter from Jack Miller because he's just going to call me out the way I needed to be called out. But, but in one of these letters, he's talking to a pastor who is sinning against another pastor. And this is what he said. He said, I am exhorting you, dear brother, to be who you are. You are a child of God. You've been accepted by him. He has loved you. So I'm exhorting you to love your brother as a child of God. Be who you are. So if I could borrow Jack Miller's logic, my exhortation to us this morning is, don't become a witness. You are one. If you bear the name of Jesus, you are one. But, But be who you are. Live as if you believe that God wants to use you to testify to his power and his gospel for his glory. Because if we don't believe it, we're going to trifle about and waste our lives. But if we believe it, I believe we will roll up our sleeves and we'll say, what sacrifices do I need to make to be who I am? God's calling you to be a witness. He's calling me. It's who we are. So how can we do it? How can we do it? If I can give you a summary statement and then some applications, a summary statement. Everything that you say and you do is a testimony about Jesus. Everything that you say or do is a testimony about Jesus. So the question before you is, are we given off an accurate picture of who God is and what he's come to do in his people? So here are a few practicals of how I think we, we flesh that out. Number one, holiness matters. Holiness matters. And what I mean by that is personal holiness, a life submitted to the Bible to Jesus as Lord and to obedience to him matters. Either, and those of you who are with us in Titus, this should be familiar, either our lives will give a testimony to the power of sin at work in us, or they will give a testimony to the power of the grace of God at work in us. Holiness matters. Pursue a life of obedience to God for the glory of God and do it from the fact that he has saved you and changed you and given you a new heart and made you spiritually alive. But don't trifle around with sin. Let sin no more be a master over you. Pursue a life of holiness. Number two, do not take credit for who you are, or for the way you live. Do not take credit for who you are, for the way you live. If a liar is now a truth teller, don't take credit for that. God did it. If you used to be an adulterer and God has made you a faithful spouse, don't take credit for that because God did it. If you used to be a malicious gossip and God has quieted your tongue and filled your heart with love, Don't take credit for that. God did it. 
Here's the thing about Americans again. If we're silent about it, people are going to give us credit for it. You, you see what I'm saying? If I'm silent about it, people are going to give me credit for it. So, so the question is, am I going to go out of my way to give God the glory, God the honor, God the credit for what God has done in my heart? Am I, am I going to go out of my way to give God the glory that's due him for, for changing me? If so, I think I'm being a faithful witness. If not, I think I'm stealing God's glory. Third, open your mouth and speak of Jesus Christ. Open your mouth and speak of Jesus Christ. You've probably heard this saying before, preach the gospel and if you have to, use words. Anybody heard that before? It's bogus. Don't believe it. Romans 1 says, the gospel is the power of God to salvation, not your good life. Now, your life matters. I just told you that. But the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So, so display the gospel in the way you live, but speak of Christ. Again, witnessing gospel evangelism has become this little circle over here. And, and we get weird when we get close to the circle, right? You know, like, like I was having dinner with you and we're having a great dinner, but how am I going to get the conversation? You don't have to get the conversation in the circle. Just talk about Jesus. Hey, you sure seem to have a great family. Your kids really are obedient. You can say, yeah, we do that pretty well, don't we? Those of you who've been in my house know that. Anyway, anyway. Or you can say, God has been really gracious to us. He's shown us some things from the Bible that we've been able to apply. And, and he's really blessed us with godly children, obedient children. But thank you for noticing. Speak of Jesus. You don't have to go through a five-step gospel presentation to speak of Jesus, but a witness will speak of what they've seen. A witness will speak of what they've heard. There's one family that I've spent some time with in the last few weeks, and God has just overwhelmed them with answers to prayer. And you know what? They can't stop talking about how God's answered their prayer. Be that way. Tell of God's power. Tell of his greatness. Tell of what Christ has done. Tell of what Christ is doing. Tell of how Christ is at work in your life. Witness is not merely a gospel presentation. Talk of Jesus freely and openly. And I think this is the irony. You long for true fellowship in the church? I think if we learn to talk freely about Jesus, we'll get true fellowship. You long to be an evangelist? If we learn to talk freely about Jesus, we'll be an evangelist. So, so the key to being a witness and the key to having a strong church is learn to talk about Jesus. I think that Christians are the most muzzled people in the world about Jesus. Atheists love to scream about how they don't have a God. Every other religion in the world loves to talk about their God, but for some reason, we want to be muzzled by it. Speak about Jesus all the time. Fourth, share the good news. Again, the gospel is the power of God and salvation. Someone struggling, help them. Someone's in need, love them. Someone has a financial need, meet it. Or ask others to help. But as you love them, and as you need, meet them, and as you help their immediate needs, point them to the Savior. Fifth, be strategic and intentional. 
be strategic and intentional. How many of you have heard a sermon like this before and thought, okay, I'm going to go to the lunch and I'm going to share the gospel with the waitress. And then you get there and you get weird and you're like, how am I going to talk to the waitress about Jesus? She seems really busy and, and I'm kind of awkward. Anybody besides me? Look, if you want to be that person that walks down the street and tells everybody you see about Jesus, go for it. I will cheer you on. But that makes me break out in hives to think about being that kind of person. But be intentional. Who has God put in your life that you are most positioned to reach with the gospel? You got a family member who doesn't know Christ? God's probably put you there to be a witness to them. You got a coworker who doesn't know Christ? Or if you work in a company with a million people, do you have somebody in your department who doesn't know Christ? God's probably put you there to be his witness to them. You got a neighbor who doesn't know Christ? God's probably put you there to be his witness to them. Be strategic and intentional. Pray for a handful of people. Spend time with those people. Genuinely love those people. Genuinely meet the needs of people. Genuinely reach out to people. And when you're around them, speak the name of Jesus. And don't be afraid to share, ask if you could share more about who Christ is. Be his witnesses. Be his witnesses. Is God calling you to be his witness? Absolutely. He's not calling you to. You are. If you're a Christian, you are. Does he want you to be a faithful witness? Absolutely. How many of you are feeling guilty right now? Don't. Don't. This isn't about guilt. This isn't about guilt. This is about joy. The creator of the universe has chosen to carry out his mission through his church. The creator of the universe has chosen to be glorified by sinners like me and you testifying to the power of his grace at work in us. The savior of the universe has chosen to make us his witnesses. So with joy, with love for God, with overwhelming humility that God would use me Go and be who you are. You're a witness. Be a faithful one. You're a witness. Be an honest one. You're a witness. Be a witness to Jesus and not to your own self. Don't feel guilty. Don't feel guilty. God's made you a witness. Live it out. Does anybody here feel helpless? Like, I can't do that? God knew you would. You're not alone. He sent His Spirit. His Spirit will give you the power to testify to Him. Now, He doesn't promise us power for athletics. He doesn't promise us power for money-making. He doesn't promise us power at our jobs. But He promises us power when we're being witnesses to Jesus. Embrace it. Believe it. And live for His glory. Because you are a witness. Our Father and our God. It's our prayer this morning. That you would take your word... 
you press it deep in our hearts. It's our prayer this morning that you would honor yourself through us. It's our prayer this morning that you would free us, some of us for the first time, to find joy in this biblical truth that we're your witnesses. It's our prayer that you would exalt yourself by allowing us to proclaim who you are. Father, we long to be faithful. We pray you would use us to that end. Amen.